Hi, everybody, and welcome back to part two of this week's South American Football Show. Um, if you've been listening to part one, you'll know I'm here with Adam Brandon Chile and uh, Simon Edwards in Colombia. We had a nice chat there with Lewis about the Peruvian success, and we're going to move it on now with the other business around South America. And we will start with Simon in Colombia. And uh, you had a bit of a, a Far Eastern odyssey with uh, South Korea and China. You managed to lose against South Korea. A uh, bit of controversy there <laughs> involved in that one as well. But you managed to win uh, against China. But I think overall, Simon, I don't think you'll be that impressed with the performances overall. No, not, not ideal. Definitely um, some areas of concern. Um, the, I mean, it was some very, very early mornings for friendlies. <laughs> it's, yeah, a lot of Colombians struggled to wake up for some, you know, meaningless friendlies at six in the morning. I did. Um, <laughs> I don't know if it was worth it, but it was uh, it was definitely interesting. So Colombia have made a lot of changes for these games. They went for a 4-3-3 against South Korea. And, you know, you could see the problems from the start, really. Uh, Peckerman, for me, is unconvincing tactically at the moment. I mean, one issue is obviously rotating the squad so much. Some, <laughs> some more debutants, some more first goals in this game as well. Um, but there's definitely some issues. Uh, one emerging issue is at fullback. Colombia were were okay in recent history, but they now seem to have only two. Frank Fabra, who's very good at Boca Juniors, very good attacking fullback, has had some interest in Europe, very athletic, a very good player. Uh, and Santiago Arias, who plays in Holland, again, is very good. But beyond that, there doesn't seem to be anyone else that Peckerman wants to use. So in these games, he started with Stefan Medina, who has played fullback quite a few times, but never particularly convincingly. So he started right. He's always really struggled for Colombia. He's taken a lot of abuse. People are kind of <laughs> growing sympathetic to his plight, but honestly, he doesn't play very well. And at left-back, uh, to Cidio from uh, Santa Fe, more of a centre-back. Again, not particularly convincing. So that's a concern. In midfield, they played with a three. Abel uh, Aguila, who's important for Colombia. Again, he's not always a starter for his Colombian club side, but he's a very intelligent player who passes the ball well, deep-lying midfielder, sits in front of the defence, you know, is a good all-round player, quite useful um, and becoming increasingly, you know, important for Colombia. And he played alongside Mateo Zoribe, who, again, plays everywhere, but he was playing as kind of the mixed midfielder alongside him, doing some defensive work. And Giovanni Moreno, who was playing quite deep. Now, I'm a huge fan of Giovanni Moreno, but as a midfield three, it, it seemed risky to me. It, it was a very strange decision, really. I think he should be playing further forward. Maybe there isn't a role for him in this team, but obviously as a as a classic number 10, he's a bit of a Peter Crouch mixed with one Raquel May. He's lanky and awkward, but also strangely elegant and effective. Um, but he's playing in China, so he's been dropped for a while, back in the squad now. A player I rate hugely, but in a midfield three, was a bit of a strange one. Uh, Duvan Zapata up front, again, he's a target man. He's played fairly well for Colombia so far. And they had Hamas Rodriguez and Hurtado on the wings. Uh, you know, it's decent, but I think there is definitely some questions for Colombia. The tactics keep changing. They seem to have no backup at fullback. In the second game, they played Jefferson Lema, who is normally a defensive midfielder at fullback. He did fairly well, did, did pretty good. Uh, Ella Balanta came on at fullback as well for Frank Pablo in the second game. Again, he's much more of a centre-back. He's very, very powerful, very strong but he's not necessarily ideal as a fullback. In terms of the wing, the two players who were tried were Felipe Pardo, who actually scored in the second game against China, uh, and Aviles Hurtado, who played fairly well. Uh, uh, Hurtado is much more defensively responsible. Uh, Pardo's a bit more... He's a little bit self-bet. There's, you, know, you need a bit of a winger. Basically, in terms of the results, 2-1 loss against South Korea. Poor game. The goals were largely the, the fault of the goalkeeper, Castellanos, who started the first game. Very, very poor performance from... Castellanos in that game. Colombia pulled one back at the end, but ended losing 2-1, and it could have been more poor poor game against Korea. Against China, they passed the ball much better. Giovanni Moreno again played in midfield, which, you know, is nice to see, but, you know, I do feel it's, it's a bit of a question as to whether he's well suited to that role. Up front, Miguel Borja scored two goals, two excellent goals as well. Uh, Carlos Baca got the goal, um, and Felipe Pardo. So the second one was much more encouraging, but I do think there's still questions. So many changes. Uh, Izquierdo uh, from Brighton didn't play. I think he'll be interesting to look at, but for me, the concern is there's still so many questions, so many possible solutions, but there needs to be some more consistency because every game is completely different. Um, and the success of 2014 was built upon team spirit and consistency in the final six months, a year before the tournament. And that's exactly what Colombia are lacking right now. A clear identity, a clear formation, and a set core of players. So many changes. So, 
more more promising from the China game. Um, the Cuadrado, the goalkeeper, Jose Cuadrado, was much better than Castellanos. None of them were anywhere near as good as Frank Lamani, who's now eligible for Colombia. Um, but yeah, overall, more promising in the second game. A lot of controversy, which we mentioned now in the first game. But uh, yeah, unconvincing. And there needs to be more stability in what Colombia's approach is for this tournament. That poor defeat to Korea was kind of overshadowed by the incident involving Edwin Cardona at the end of the match. Uh, for anybody who hasn't seen it or heard about it, Cardona made kind of a racist gesture towards um, the Korean players after the game, kind of pulling his eyes to the side to make kind of a slanty eye gesture. Something obviously that isn't acceptable. And the reaction in Colombia was mixed, to say the least. No, Simon? Yeah, it's, it's, it's depressing. I mean, okay, so in terms of the incident itself, you can put it down to a dumb, be- dumb footballer being dumb. You know, we've seen plenty of sportsmen, too many, of course, but we've seen other sportsmen do stupid things like this. And I think Cardona can claim, you know, I, was, I didn't realise it was so offensive. You know, it was just a silly thing to do. You know, I'm sorry if, if I offended anyone. It wasn't the most convincing apology, but, you know, it's a, <laughs> a pretty childish attacking midfielder who's been petulant and a bit immature throughout his career, being childish, petulant and immature, um, which, you know, is bad and he should be punished and hopefully he'll learn. And obviously in Colombia, there are very few Asian people. Um, so you can put it down to ignorance. But for me, what is frustrating is, you know, that that was a heat of the moment. I'm going to try and wind up my opponent by doing something stupid, not knowing how you know, offensive it can be. So in terms of the act itself, you know, I think Edwin Cardona is, has proved throughout his career. He's kind of a childish, petulant, you know, a bit naive, a little bit silly person and player. And I think the act itself, you know, was a stupid thing to do. He didn't, I don't believe he believed, he understood how offensive it could be found. So I don't want to defend him at all. I think he was just trying to wind up your position, but uh, yeah, but I, I think he, comes down to ignorance and i think heat of the moment do something childish you know i think that is the reason why cardona did it he's issued an apology wasn't the most convincing i'm sorry if you were offended kind of apology but i think he understands now that it's it's a big issue and it's not acceptable but what has been frustrating is that while many people have come out and criticized um this and and they've been very vocal and said you know we you know as colombians we face discrimination people associate our country with drugs and with violence and with negativity so why are we you know conveying these stereotypes why are we conforming to these you know racial ideas and you know generalizations and the prejudice but other people have said you know this is just ah oh, come on it's a joke you know we did it at, at school you know this is fine you know we, we we laugh at the costeños the guys from the coast and we laugh at the guys from the pacific and we laugh at the Bogota people, you know, we, we, we laugh at each other. Um, but I think that kind of <laughs> misses the point. Um, it, this is mocking a, a racial characteristic. This is mocking something, uh, you know, a physical trait associated with, a, with people. It's associated with, a, with you know, racist songs and stuff in Colombia. There are very few Asian um, uh, people in Colombia. Um, there are some. There's, there's more and more, uh, which is which is cool, but I think people are still very naive. But the most frustrating thing is the people who've had time to reflect still think it's funny, still think, ha, what a clown, what is Cardona like? And you're, you're kind of missing the point. You know, maybe you think Cardona was, was a bit daft and that's funny, but you, know, you can't then overlook uh, what is an offensive gesture and, and completely unnecessary and, and something that should be criticized, not, not seen as a joke. You know, I saw uh, a Colombian TV channel uh, call it mischief. Ah, uh, yeah, the the cheeky mischief of Cardona, and it's like no, you know, mocking a a physical characteristic of of a whole race uh, isn't isn't mischief. That's something worse. And Cardona was ignorant and a bit silly, but I think those who come and say ah, you know, just a bit of fun, I think you're missing the point really uh, with that one. Do Do you think there's any chance of? Edwin Cardona perhaps losing his place in the Columbia squad because of this incident? I'm guessing not, to be honest, but um, if, if there is any chance, then would Cucho uh, Hernandez, a player, I think we've had a couple of questions on him come, come in tonight. Uh, maybe you can give a shout out to who those people were. Um, but 
I, f- I feel that Coutinho Hernandez has really, really shown his class in the in the second tier in Spain this year. He's already attracting interest from Barcelona. I see from your tweets. Um, so you know he's another attacking player. Let's face it, you know Colombia have plenty of options in that area. So Cardona has to be a little bit careful, no? He does have to be careful. Um, I think I think many Colombians were surprised to hear, you know, initially surprised to hear the the potential uh, multi-game bans. Um, you know, I, I don't think they should be surprised, but I think again, you know, there isn't the same historical racism in the same way in Colombia. People aren't as quite as sensitive to it, and that can be nice and in terms of how people talk about race in a very relaxed way, but also can be lead them to say offensive things and, and be a bit you know, careless. Um, so I think people were surprised to hear of such a strong ban, but many others have said, well, he deserves it. In terms of his World Cup place, I don't think it's at risk. Um, he's been an important player, uh, often off the bench, sometimes starting. He's a player with great technique, scores some excellent goals. I think he's just too useful for Colombia, um, and I, I think he's quite settled. In terms of Cucho Hernandez, <laughs> yeah, he is going from strength to strength. You know, we spoke about him on a spotlight pod where we said a very all-round, tenacious, mature winger. Well, he's become <laughs> an incredible goal scorer, playing a bit further forward, much, much more powerful than he, he was when he left Colombia. Obviously, most of that is age. He's he's still only 18. So he was he was ripping up the league in Colombia at 16. Um, but now he's more powerful. Over five yards, there's so much acceleration there. And he just drives towards goal. He scored nine goals in 14 on loan at Huesca in the Spanish second division, including two against Barcelona, an amazing free kick and a, and a second volley. So he's 18 years old. He's already played 76 games and scored 33 goals. It's just ridiculous. And as, you know, as I mentioned, Barcelona, he scored two against their B team. They're tracking him now. Watford are very, very keen to get his work permit situation sorted. So they would love to see him in the Colombian squad. They're kind of hoping that he does force him <laughs> yeah. to be in. It was a. I, I, I've just checked. It was a Watford fan, Liam Harrison, who actually sent in that question. Yeah, I think he's very, very. He's been tracking his progress, and I think he's very keen to see him in a Watford shirt. And I honestly, I think he would potentially walk straight into the Watford team at the moment. The way he's playing, scoring goals and goals, and it's just, it's. He's gone from being a player who's very good all round to being a, just a force, you know, a power, just driving, driving forward. So he'll beat a man, slip it wide, and then within a second he's in the box. You know, there's that real hunger to score. He's playing further forward. He's been playing as a number nine more recently as well. Um, and, you know, it's a real credit to his maturity and to his dedication that he's become a more complete, more powerful and more dangerous player. When he was scoring a load of goals um, in previous years, now he just looks unstoppable. And I honestly think he could become one of the best players in the world if he continues this development. So... Watford will be keen to get him in in their squad. I think they're going to offer him a new contract, increase his wages. They're looking at every way to get his work permit. Obviously, a, a special talent visa is the most likely. Uh, playing in the second division kind of limits the chances of that. So they're trying to get him a, a, a top division club for next year at least. Uh, and hope they're hoping that uh, Peppermint sees the potential. Columbia have loads and loads of strikers, but you know there's always that that temptation to throw someone in. You know, a complete out of nowhere. Uh, you know, see if he see if he can make the difference. And uh, Hernandez will be a perfect candidate for that. Uh, yeah, Walcott, but actually playing kind of well. Yeah, a couple more questions came in for for you as well um, on Twitter. One of them from Red Wine Venezuela. Um, he was talking about uh, Jan Carlos Hurtado, yeah. um, who has been. Integral, really, to Venezuela's under-20 side. Um, and it looks like he's ready to switch allegiances. Um, he, he has Colombian parents, apparently. So is there is there much chat there in Colombia about that about that move? He's a talented yeah, up-and-coming striker. Yeah, well, I think he's kind of an attacking midfielder, um, but he's scored a good number of goals. Um, no, I, I, there hasn't been much attention in Colombia. I think it's kind of gone under the radar a little bit, but I was looking into it, and it's a very strange situation. Um, he was playing for the Chira. In interviews, he's come out and said, you know, I know the songs, I love the Chira, but I have to go, I've got, I've got to leave. Um, he's 17 years old, he, you know, he played in the Under-20 World Cup, he played five games, I think. Um, as you mentioned, Colombian parents, he's moved into Colombia to find a club. Uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens. Um 
I think he would have more chance of representing Venezuela. Um, but obviously, he feels he has to leave the country. Perhaps, again, I don't want to speculate, but perhaps it's to do with the instability in the country at the time, financial issues. I know there are a, num- a number of Venezuelan players who are, who are moving to Colombia to, to find clubs. Um, some international players uh, have, you know, have, have reached out to me or, or their representatives have mentioned to me, are there any recommendations even in the second division? Um, with the financial and, and political situation in Venezuela, I think many players are looking for stability, even if perhaps they have to drop down to the second division to reestablish themselves. Um, I think there's there's a lot of you know uncertainty in Venezuela, and I think some Venezuelan players are looking to make that move. Colombia is a natural option. Culturally, it's very similar. We it, share a border. Obviously, there's political tensions. Um, but uh, yeah, it looks as though he's looking for a club in Colombia, and he would be a great buy. Um, so that may be maybe related to the situation in Venezuela. We have I haven't been able to find any more details, but it'll be very interesting to see where he ends up and you know how far he can go, and whether he does choose to play for Colombia or if he goes back and, and represents Venezuela. You would think Venezuela may be a little bit easier, but uh, in terms of club football, he's definitely set his mind on on moving to Colombia and playing in the Colombian league. And also, um, Sebastian Salasa, he said, "What would your list of twenty three players?" For Columbia B, we haven't got time, unfortunately, on this pod to go through the whole squad. But he also mentions here, um, I know you like Gio Moreno, but he didn't show anything special in the last two matches. So if Pakeman wants an actual tear, maybe he can take uh, Juan Fernando uh, Quintero. Um, out of those two, who, who would you pick? Uh, it's, it's very difficult. Um, I, think, I think it's unlikely that Eva will start. Um, I am a huge, huge fan of Giovanni Moreno. I think it's a real shame that he's played in China for the last five years. I think he's probably going to come back to Colombian football uh, in December. <laughs> We've said this for two or three years. He, he used to play for Nacional with Envigado, but, but with Nacional. So Junior are looking for big-name players still. Nacional, Millonarios are looking to make a run next year. Um, so I think if he gets back to Colombian football, I think his quality will really shine. Um, it's been a big boost for Chara and Teofilo Gutierrez for team chances. And I think uh, Giovanni Moreno will be the best player in the league if he comes back. That said, Quintero is amazing. I just think if you're going to bring one off the bench, I would bring off Giovanni, um, Gio, I bring Giovanni Moreno on because I think he has the range. He has you know, his long legs and I think he's a bit rangy and can drive the team forward. Uh, whereas Quintero is more of a, a player I would build a team around. But I think in terms of an impact sub, I think Giovanni Moreno uh, has more to offer. So very difficult decision. I'm a huge fan of both, but Giovanni Moreno tips it for me. But I do think he needs to make sure he's playing regularly uh, and on the radar. So perhaps we'll be back to South America in December. will secure his place in the squad. Right. I'm sticking with the question theme, uh, Simon. I think we'll have another one that came in on uh, the MLS. Yeah, uh, we had a question on, uh, on Facebook again. Uh, Danielle uh, Gator. In the US, she said, "How is the MLS perceived in in these countries you know, that we represent? Uh, where does it fall in the global pecking order for South American fans and analysts?" Um, and she mentions that her club has some Colombian players uh, and they have a Colombian manager. Um, but Adam, in Chile, where do they see the MLS? Do players feel it's an attractive option? Is there a prestige uh, related to playing in the MLS? What's what's the general feeling in Chile towards United States soccer? Well, firstly. I've never had a conversation with anybody here about MOS. Um, it just doesn't crop up in conversation. It's, it's, it's not a league that many people pay attention to here. Having said that, a couple of key points. So ESPN, um, the, you know, one of the major broadcasters alongside Fox Sports here in South America broadcast at least a couple of MOS games a week. So, there is opportunities to watch um, MOS um, in Chile and, and, and on the rest of the continent as well. But really, the only coverage I ever see of it here in Chile is on the news on Sunday. So I don't know if this happens over there in Brazil, in Colombia. Maybe in those two countries, there's just far too many players for, for this to work. But here on the news in Chile every Sunday... The sports section is even longer than the news. It goes on for about an hour and a half. And about half an hour of that is sort of dedicated to looking at what players, what Chilean players around the world are up to. You know, how they performed um, and their show, like a goal or assist 
that they got in in a game that weekend or something like that. So yeah, there's there's really not that much unless there's a Chilean player playing in the MOS now. One player that has had a decent season, I believe, is Carlos Comona, who um, joined Atlanta United, who are kind of a Latin American team playing in 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 the in MOS. It seems so. Yeah, it's uh, he he's the only player who's really sort of grabbed any kind of um, headlines uh, down here in Chile. Yeah, uh, the the other the other Chilean who who did who who did impress in the, in MOS and um, and got a move back here to the biggest club in Chile off the back of his performances um, for Vancouver Whitecaps is uh, attacking midfielder Pedro Morales. Um, he had a really successful time there um, for the Canadian club in in MOS, uh, but he he's kind of struggled a little bit really. Um, in, a, in Colo Colo, he's had, he's had a few problems here, so not a great deal to, to summer, really. Uh, what's it like there in Brazil, Dave? Well, uh, Adam, you basically everything that you said is, is pretty much the same. You know, the ESPN thing, we have it, yes. Um, I've never had a conversation with a Brazilian uh, around MLS. Um, well, let me tell a lie. The Kaká thing, uh, the fact that he is there is, is maybe the only thing. I've seen a few shirts here. Um, albeit they're not genuine, um, a few shirts, MLS shirts, but very, very few and far between. Uh, and I think that that's maybe the only interest of it. Uh, you know, I, I think that the, the MLS will have a real difficulty breaking into the marketplace down here. Um, you know, given the fact that Europe, and, and I'm sure it's the same in Colombia and Chile, guys, you know, Europe is held on such a pedestal of football. Um, you know, certainly the, the likes of uh, Real Madrid and Barcelona, the, the, the attention that they draw from South America and as a second league, it's it's not a big surprise that Brazilians don't take the MLS. And again, it's a much sort of slower game unless you want to watch her legend. And I feel that way about it myself. You know, don't get me wrong. Whenever Jared went to uh, Delhi Galaxy, I found myself watching it. Um, and, and I think that's maybe the same, you know, in, in for a Brazilian watching Kaká. But again, I can't think beyond his name. I don't think I've ever had a conversation with anyone. And it's it's not something that that's apparent. You know, leagues in Europe and European football, very apparent everywhere you go in the cities. You, you would, there'd be, there wouldn't even be a trace of MOS, Simon. Yeah, I mean, in Colombia, I think again we don't see many MLS shirts. That's not that's uh, not a thing really. But I do think in terms of career progression and a career choice, it's become more accepted. I would say in Colombia than perhaps elsewhere. I mean, Carlos Bardalama went to the 1998 World Cup when he was playing for Miami Fusion, so it, it isn't a <laughs> a dead end for a career at all. Um, I you know in terms of the, the MLS, in terms of MLS, I want to say that. <laughs> Um, I think the attraction is obviously that players are definitely going to get paid. Um, for for many Colombian players, the when they leave Colombia, and again, the Colombian league is becoming more financially stable, but many go to Mexico. Um, we get some in Argentina, some in Brazil, but the US is another option. I mean, Freddie Montero had a great time in there in the league. Uh, Juan Pablo Angel also had a good number of years over there. You know, there's been some other players, so I think it's it's not seen as as selling out or throwing away your career as as it would be in, perhaps in England people are a bit more dismissive I think in Colombia there's quite a lot of cultural you know economic ties to the United States and I do think that the MLS while it isn't a league that people aspire to play play in I think there's many many Colombian players who would take the guaranteed paycheck the and again I think most many Colombians are surprised at how big the league is um you know they, they get better attendances than the Brazilian league that they Dave so I mean Colombian league as well um so I think there's a kind of an awakening to the fact that it's it's quite a big deal it's not the the thing that people dream of doing but some big big players have have gone there and done well and made good money and and still represented the Colombian team Rafael Lavaggio also went to the um you know United States for a while so I do think in Colombia there's some more of an acceptance People will take a couple of years and play in the in the league and, and make some decent money, and, it, and it's not seen as uh, a big negative thing. So yeah, I think I think there's an awareness, I think there's you know an acceptance that it's a decent quality, and I think there's generally a surprise that it's it's so big. Colombia's 
biggest moment came against the United States and it was a huge a huge embarrassment to to lose the United States in the 94 World Cup and obviously it had tragic, tragic consequences um, when uh, Escobar was murdered but that was a huge embarrassment and I think people have you know grown up to see the uh, United States as as a team you know as a place where you can play football and you know make a decent career and it not be a a big blot on your I think it's something that we've covered, um, God, I've covered more than half a dozen times probably on these pods, about the, the MLS attracting uh, Brazilians, given the fact that we have such a history down here of, of clubs not being able to pay their players and wages being always behind and so on. As you rightly pointed out and mentioned, Simon, you know, it's, it's money that comes through in your hand when it's meant to, uh, and, and that's a huge draw. And, and I don't know whether maybe it's it's work permit thing or, or anything, maybe that's a barrier to it. Uh, in the US maybe now with Trump definitely it probably is uh, he's not too fond of Latin <laughs> but uh, it's uh, it's a strange one because th- there's a marketplace there in Brazilian soccer I feel for for the uh, MLS to, to, to come and, and look at some some players and not you know players who are finished players who are, are in their prime and they can offer them the kind of money to make that move and, and it's just never happened and as I say for the past couple of years on, on this pod and others on WFI we, you know we, we've sort of mentioned this that you know that the MLS could be a great place for, for developing Brazilians but it just doesn't seem to be happening I don't know I don't know whether there's the appetite isn't there from the American side or, or, or the Brazilian side well I think in uh, Colombians I think there's like around 30 Colombians playing in the United States at the moment in the top division so I think there's more of a connection there in Colombia, and obviously we've seen Atlanta kind of build a team around South Americans. I think there does seem to be a general move towards uh, to looking to South American talent in its prime, as opposed to uh, European players who have the prestige, but perhaps don't have the motivation or, or physical level. Um, I just it does feel there's a bit of a switch in that in that regard. Maybe Brazil's a little bit behind, but I definitely Colombia and, and Venezuela. I think again, I think also wages. I think Brazilian clubs could probably. Again, while they may not always pay the wages, at least promise something uh, of a comparable level. Uh, whereas I think the designated player rule, for example, in the United States, means there's only a limited number of players who can earn a really high wage. But that wage is probably still, for most Colombians, going to be pretty good, unless you're playing for one of the one or two biggest clubs in the country. So I think financially it's attractive, uh, a secure uh, secure payslip, and also you know having a couple of years to live in the United States you know, maybe learn a bit about a new culture and a language. It's an attractive option for, for some Colombian players making their making their name uh, in football. Adam, any thoughts on this one, uh, you know, from the Chilean point of view, uh, about, you know, do, do, do younger players, would they be attracted to go to the MLS uh, for the paycheck? Yeah, um, quite a few have actually, but they only seem to last a few months. Uh, whether that's because they're not good enough or they don't adapt, uh, probably for a mix of those two reasons. Um, so yeah, m- maybe missing missing the home comforts. Uh, it's probably uh, a problem for for many of the uh, young Chilean footballers who go over there. Um, a, a lot of the footballers, especially, don't really mature until their their mid twenties. Yeah, I think I think it depends as well. Like in Colombia, for example. Um, if it's a smaller team, there isn't a precedent. I mean, Colombia has ten, you know, maybe seven big teams, yeah. four or five medium teams, and there's six or seven teams which basically, are, you know, there's there's not a big fan base there. They, they'll move around, the club will move. There's not a lot of prestige related to playing with one of those smaller clubs. So it's often those teams where where the MLS or even NASL, the second division, well, not officially the second division, but the less prestigious division in Colombia can pick up players who, again, they're not big names in Colombia, but will be looking to make a step financially. And, they, you know, they don't necessarily see that as a step down. But again, if you're playing for a Nacional or a Millonarios, then your family aren't going to know where you're going. You know, you say, I'm going to play for Philadelphia, and they go, well, baseball? Or, <laughs> so there, maybe there isn't that understanding of, of, of it being in that, in that case. But I do think for some of the smaller clubs, it can sometimes be seen as a step up. It's more money. It's probably more fans, almost definitely more fans for home games. But I think there's a very, very big uh, big divide between the biggest clubs in Colombia and some of the smallest clubs. And moving from one of the smallest clubs isn't necessarily a step down in prestige. Again, I think many clubs will ideally want to sell their players to, to Europe. Um, I know Envigado, for example, specifically target clubs in established European leagues because it helps 
the brand of Emily Gado and helps awareness of the club and helps them to sell more players in the future. Um, but I think financially there's, there's the, there's the temptation. And I think for smaller clubs, taking a bit of money, going to a, a league where you're going to play in front of a bigger stadium and more fans, um, and pick up a bigger paycheck. I think that's the, the attraction, uh, and not necessarily a step down from the smaller clubs in terms of prestige. Interesting stuff all around. A good question, that one. I'm going to come to Adam now for a bit of a, a chilly update, Adam. And, you know, we, we, the last time I was talking to you, you say we're in despair. How, how are things around Chile now? Um, have, have we settled down? And, and what's going on around the leagues and so on? Fill us in. Yeah, so first off, there isn't really anything to say about um, the national team at the moment. No manager appointed yet, so we're still waiting for news on that. There's no development on any of the rumours that we mentioned in the last pod. Um, it's all gone very quiet, actually. So I'm probably looking at the new year now before we get an announcement. Well, it's a good thing, Adam. They're taking their time. I remember in the yeah. last pod you felt that the patience was, was, was a good thing. Are you still of that mind? Oh, yeah, definitely. Uh, I, I hope that they're taking the taking their time to find the right appointment not that they're taking their time because they can't find anybody who wants oh, the maybe job maybe cutting off all the money to see if they can afford Sven Goyne Eriksson yeah well yeah that's, that's also a fear. he'd go well in Latin America wouldn't he <laughs> yeah indeed but what we do have in Chile at the moment is a very dramatic title race um, so there's three matches to go um, mathematically, there's seven teams um, still with a with a shot at winning it. More realistically, you're probably looking at the top five who who have a real chance. I would say, given how the games uh, fall, if two teams are tied at the end of a season at the top, or the top two who are tied at the end of a season. Um, on points, then they have a playoff at a neutral venue and. If it stays like it is at the moment, that would mean we would get a super classical between Colo Colo and Universidad de Chile. So that would be quite a watch, I think, given the rivalry between those two clubs. And right behind them, on the same same number of points, but just with slightly worse goal difference, is Union Española. Now, they've had a fascinating season. So in their first eight matches... Eight matches, they didn't concede a goal. But in their last four, they've conceded eleven. So that's uh, that's quite a change in their in their defensive form. And on the last match day, which was a couple of weeks ago now, um, they lost five two to Colo Colo. Um, the Chilean league is actually on quite a big break at the moment. Um, they they stopped for the international break, even though Chile weren't playing, but. They were supposed to, um, either for either the playoff or, or friendlies they had scheduled at this time, but they had to cancel them after the, the failure of, of not going to Russia. Um, so that's, that's left this massive gap in the calendar because there's also elections coming up this weekend in Chile, uh, presidential elections. Um, so, basically, <laughs> yeah, so basically nothing can happen, um, on that weekend. So, yeah, there's quite a long wait to the next set of matches. Now, the game of next weekend, really, is Everton, who are in fourth place, just a point behind the top three, who are all level one points. Um, Everton, uh, they host leaders Colo Colo. So that is kind of like an eliminator in this title race, you feel, even even at this stage with three games to go. So... um, I guess if Colo Colo beat Everton, then that's probably Everton out the picture. Um, if Everton beat Colo Colo, then they've put themselves possibly in pole position going into the last two matches. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's going to be fascinating. The other two teams with a shot are Aldax Italiano and Antofagasta, and the other team mathematically in a shot still is within a shot is uh, um in seventh. But, yeah, if, if, if I had to put money on it now, then I, I, I do see a playoff between Colo Colo and Universidad de Chile for the title, actually, which would be fascinating. At the bottom, the two teams having the worst season um, in recent memory are O'Higgins and Ekike. These are two teams that have appeared in Copa Libertadores a couple of times in recent years. Um, O'Higgins won the title. 
not that long ago, really. Akike have been title contenders consistently for a couple of years, but both of them are really struggling this year. But it doesn't matter because the relegation is decided on an average of points system, the coefficient, as it's called. Um, and the three teams who are in trouble are Palestino, who are in the worst form of the three at the moment. They sit third from bottom in the current table as well. Um, so possible uh, relegation candidates there. Kuriko Unido, who just came up from Primera B just um, well, four months ago, uh, they could be going straight back down. And you've got Santiago Wanderers, who are possibly the most interesting case here because they won the Copa Chile last weekend. And, ju- and the fact that they just reached the final was a big achievement because just reaching the final was enough to qualify them for the Copa Libertadores because the team they faced was Universidad de Chile and Universidad de Chile have already qualified for the Copa Libertadores. Um, but Wanderers kind of really earned their place in the Libertadores in the end because they produced a fantastic performance um, to beat Universidad de Chile 3-1. The game was played in the south of the country in Concepcion. Um, so Lou had the majority of the support in the stadium. It was probably about 65, 35 maybe in favour of them in the stadium. But it was great scenes because you had one end of the stadium completely blue, the other half completely green. So yeah, it, it, it did look great. And, and Wanderers really turned up for the occasion and Lou didn't really and like I say they, they gained an impressive 3-1 victory it's very comfortable they're 3-0 up um, going into sort of the last 15-20 minutes of that game so yeah both teams in the Copa Libertadores next season um, but as I say Santiago Wanderers are one of three teams that could still get relegated so and if that happens by the way if they do get relegated uh, they don't lose their Libertadores place. Um, so Chilean FA will still of allow them. They don't. <laughs> a, a Chilean FA will still allow them to compete in in um, in South America's most prestigious club competition. Just to sum up how relegation and promotion works in Chile, for those who don't know, so whoever does finish bottom um, of the coefficient table, so either Wanderers, either Wanderers, Palestine, or Curico at the moment. Now, whoever finishes bottom of that will face either Union La Calera or my local team um, and the team that I support and I've been a season ticket holder now for many years here, and that's San Marcos de Arica. The first leg of this playoff between Arica and La Calera is in Arica next Friday, so I'm already getting a little bit nervous for that. To sum up this game... The, the, the two teams go heading into this game. Arika have been the best team over the last 18 months. That's, that's why they're in the in this playoff semi-final. They, and the team they're facing, La Calera, are the champions um, of the short Primera B transition tournament that has just taken place. Um, La Calera had to produce an almost perfect season to avoid relegation on the same basis of as I was explaining before about the average point system. Now, they had such a bad campaign uh, last season that it meant that they were almost certainties uh, to go down this year. But they've won something like their last eight or nine matches, including beating Arika um, in Arika uh, just a couple of weeks ago. So they pretty much done the impossible by avoiding relegation and become champions and now have a shot at going up. So it's going to be a fascinating playoff. Um, To be honest, I'm not too confident as all the momentum is with the opposition. But who knows? I could actually hear you smiling when you were talking about Eureka there, Adam. (laughs) I think a bit of pride there, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, I, I really, after Chile not making the World Cup, if Arika can get back into the Premier Division, that will certainly go a long way to making up for that for me. So, um, so yeah, I, I miss being in the top tier. Uh, Adam, I had a quick question as well. Uh, Ian Lewis on Facebook was asking about how it works having multiple big teams in in the in Santiago in the capital. 
do the teams, you know, are there specific rivalries between certain teams? Do certain teams get on and certain teams have, con, you know, contentions? Uh, is it a more Santiago versus the rest? You know, how does it work in terms of rivalries in Santiago and in Chile in general? Yeah, so there's one massive rivalry, and that's Colo Colo uh, Universidad de Chile. Yeah, that, that's the very fierce one. Uh, that's the game they call the Super Classico here. And taking aside the Jorge Sampaoli era and a period um, about 50 years ago, um, Colo Colo have really dominated that, that fixture. Um, and it's been many, many years since Lug last won away in that derby as well. So it is kind of one-sided and it, that does, for me, take some of the edge off of that rivalry. Where if you look across to River and Boca, if you look at those two clubs' histories and the amount of trophies they've both won and the history in that fixture is so close between the two as well, and then you compare it to the biggest rivalry in Chile, it's, it's kind of, I feel sometimes a little bit embarrassed for Universidad to Chile in that rivalry because there's such a gap in the head-to-head especially, mate makes that fixture look a little bit uneven at times. But there is plenty of hate flowing both ways. Um, the third biggest team in the country, and they are also based in Santiago, is Universidad uh, Católica. Now, they play kind of a university classic, the university derby with uh, Universidad de Chile. Yeah, that's been pretty heated at times over the years, as as is Colo Colo against Universidad Católica sometimes as well. Católica are very much the third biggest team, and I, I wouldn't I wouldn't class that as kind of a, a proper classic rivalry, really. Um, the one which gets everybody talking is the Colo Colo Universidad de Chile match. Now, there's a lot of other teams in Santiago as well. Um, you've got Palestino, club formed from Palestinian immigrants. Um, they have a bit of a rivalry with the other two immigrant sides. That's Union Española, formed by Spanish immigrants, and you have uh, Audax Italiano, obviously formed by Italian immigrants. Um, and you know those clubs also have a rivalry, but I wouldn't. Uh, yeah, I've watched many of their matches over the years, many of the derbies. I wouldn't call them particularly fierce. The other fierce rivalries in the country tend to happen in the other cities. So here in the north of Chile, for example, there is quite a lot of hate between my club, Arica, and Aquique. Yeah, and you're talking a distance of 300 kilometers between the two. You know, there isn't another club for miles. And that's a rivalry not just based on football, you see. Um, it, it's, it's also, uh, there's, there's quite a lot of eco- economic factors involved there. A lot of bitterness here in Arica towards Aquique, who who get a lot more funding than Arika do. So, so yeah, there, there's rivalries like that. Then you've got, if you look at Valparaiso, now Valparaiso is is where Santiago Wanderers are based. I know that's confusing for people who don't follow, follow um, Chilean football. Uh, but yeah, Santiago Wanderers are based in Valparaiso and um, they're also a pretty big club, actually. Um, and they have a rivalry with Everton, now, Everton are based in Vigna del Mar, um, and Vigna is right next to Valparaiso. So they're pretty much joined together. But what you do have there is Valparaiso, which is kind of a working class port city. Um, and then you've got kind of the, the middle, well, maybe not middle class, but certainly getting towards that beach resort type town in Vigna, which is right next door. Um, so there's a ri- rivalry based on that. And to be honest, that can be one of the most fierce rivalries, um, I've seen here in Chile. As, as for sort of rivalries between uh, other rivalries I can think of quickly off the top of my head, I'm probably missing a couple more, but, um, you've got, uh, Coquimbo against La Serena. Um, that, that can be quite a tasty one at times. As, as for kind of Santiago against, the regions, yeah, there, there, there can be quite a lot of um, ill feeling, um, especially from the from the cities in the extremity. So certainly Arica, when a Santiago team comes here, 
then a lot of the more proud Arakenians who only support Arica and wouldn't dream of supporting a Santiago team, you know, they make sure they come out in force in the stadium and and, and support Arica as, as possibly one of the reasons why Arica have such a good record against Colo Colo, actually, because it, it's seen as a bit of a pride thing. Yeah, uh, I, I really can't think of any more fierce than, than Universidad de Chile Colo Colo, which um, usually kicks off at midday here, to uh, midday on a Saturday or Sunday, to avoid trouble, as with many fierce derbies in, in England. Right, Adam, that is fantastic. Um, as I say, you, as always, you confuse me with your who's going to win the league, and you can be bottom of the league and win the league and be relegated and win the league. And if you're confused, you're going to even be more confused by the time we talk to Simon about the Colombian League, because... It makes even less sense, Simon. Uh, I, I don't have any questions. Just tell us what's happening, and and hopefully the listeners will be able to piece it together. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So it's complicated. So there are. Oh, it's always complicated, Simon. That's why I'm leaving you to it. <laughs> <laughs> so there are uh, three teams that this weekend can either make themselves a secure their position in the championship playoffs or find themselves relegated. So, in terms of drama, in terms of uh, excitement, 3.30, Colombian time uh, in the evening in England, definitely worth checking in. Get out your relegation league table and your championship league table and your reclassification league table if you want to make it really complicated. Simon, Simon, quite seriously, quite seriously, if you did that, how many bits of paper, how how extensive would the paperwork be in front? Because seriously, you know, you talk in these pods and, and and it sounds... It's just madness. It's just madness. How many bits of paper would you need to follow it if, if any of our listeners decided to do this? Well, there's six games going on at the same time. Um, and within those six games, most of those teams can either qualify for the finals or get relegated. So, you know, if you think of match of the day, last game of the season, where they go from ground to ground and they do the drama of maybe two or three teams fighting to survive and you know sometimes it's really exciting sometimes it's an anti-climax well there's going to be no anti-climax there's going to be some excitement there's going to be a team that's in the finals and then suddenly relegated within 10 minutes it's going to be madness so basically tigres um which is a very very small team they're relegated in colombia relegations calculated over six seasons or three years and if you're promoted you don't start with an average of zero or you don't start you know you start with the terrible average inherited from the team that finished bottom last year. So you're basically 20 points behind at the start of the year. So Tigres, despite potentially uh, securing a championship playoff position, are already relegated by 10 points. <laughs> so, so Tigres are down. So all they have to fight for is uh, championship uh, contention. So there's... Two positions, relegation positions. Tigres is one. Then there's Cortalua, Jaguares, Bucaramanga, and Colombia's second biggest team, recently promoted America de Cali. So America de Cali were promoted this year. They weren't in a bad position as Tigres because Tigres were the second promoted team. So they picked up the worst results from last year. So America de Cali did start behind, but not quite far as behind as Tigres. And they've had a decent year, but it's now come down to two points between... 19th bottom and 16th bottom. So, all comes down to the final results of the, the season. So, we have Jaguares against Rio Negro. Again, Jaguares may win that game. Rio Negro don't have much to play for. You know, they can they can get that. America and Cali are playing Bucaramanga, which is going to be a huge game. You know, if one of those teams lose, they may find themselves dragged into the relegation zone. You know, we're talking two points. Cortulu have got 132 points. Again, <laughs> this is crazy. Jaguares uh, Juarez, 133, Bucaramanga, 133, America de Cali, 134. So, uh, 17th and 16th, uh, America and Bucaramanga play each other. If one team loses, they can find themselves dragged in. It's uh, a lot to play for in that game. Cortulua face Once Caldas away. Tricky game, uh, not, not the easiest, but Once Caldas are already out of contention. They've recently just sacked the 1994 Colombian World Cup. Uh, coach Matalana, he's been sacked uh, just before their final game of the season. Lots of uh, you know, problems there. So Cortulua may fancy their chances. And if they do pick up a win, that will put them... Again, they're currently the team in the relegation zone, but they're playing a winnable game, uh, albeit away, 
So if they win that game, it really puts pressure on the result of uh, Bucaramanga and Cali. Although Jaguares are also there in the mix, uh, playing against Rio Negro. Again, a game they might win. So America and Cali, while they are the team furthest away from the relegation zone at the, at the moment with two points, the two teams below them have winnable games and they've been playing well in recent weeks with all of this pressure. Um, so they may win. And if that come, if that does happen, then it will come down to Bucaramanga against America de Cali, uh, who play each other, which is going to be a massive, massive game. So that's the relegation side of things. But if it wasn't complicated enough, those same teams are, are some of the teams in contention to make it into the top eight and then play off quarterfinal, semifinal, final for the Colombian Championship. So at the moment, uh, the top six is confirmed. Santa Fe, Atletico Nacional, Junior, Visionarios, La Equidad, which is a surprise, and Tolima. Then seventh down to 13th are all very, very close. Um, so America de Cali currently in seventh as well as 17th um, with 28 points. Then Medellin, 26. Tigres already relegated, but may still win the championship because Colombia's mad on 26. Then Jaguares, Envigado, Huila, Cotelua. So there's a lot happening. <laughs> Basically, there's three teams who could finish this weekend relegated or on the on the road to a championship title. Um, Colombia's crazy, but 3:30 get all these get the two tables out, the relegation table and the the top eight promotion table. Uh, sorry, championship table. See what happens. It's going to be incredible. Um, it may be a point where America de Cali find themselves relegated in the 80th minute and then in the 80th minute there's going to be tears there's going to be craziness there's going to be cheating there's going to be time wasting everything <laughs> in South American football and they, you know they will they will uh, yeah we'll see all of that this weekend go, uh, go on with that Dave you're, you're top of that you got that clear uh, Simon <laughs> you, you, <laughs> Simon I'm sitting here cool how did I respond to that? <laughs> what, did he, what, what did he just say? And what, what does all that mean? You know, Adam sets you up and then you come along and just, there's just no coming back from it. It's like, how, how many years did it take you to get your head around it? You know, in Brazil here, we still have just basic football where, you know, four go down, four go up. Um, you know, when, when we hit, you know, Serie D, it gets a little bit more complicated like that. But certainly the, the, the first two tiers, our first three tiers are, are pretty much, you know, straight a, a league as we would know it. It must, it must have taken you some time to get your head around all of that. Yeah, and and just when I think I've got it, <laughs> that I realise there's something yeah. overlooked. <laughs> so, like for example, the reclassification table, which de- which decides the continental qualifiers. So they do a table for the whole year, just 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 two seasons this one, but one calendar year, and that decides the extra spots for the South America uh, Championship, Copa Sudamericana, Copa Libertadores, um, and that includes the semi-final, final, the points. But the descanso, the relegation table, doesn't include that. So that's something I just learned this week. So you're always learning with South American football. I'm also learning about the, the second division promotion. Um, tonight they had the semifinals of the. So the second division in Colombia is two championships uh, a year. Uh, the, the, the opening championship, the closing championships. So Bojaca Chico, which is a team that's recently relegated, a big team. They won the first championship. Second championship was semifinal stage, Cúcuta and Leones. Just drew two tonight. Leones de Tagui got a, a late equaliser. And Cartagena won 2-1 against Llaneros. They're going to go through to the final. <laughs> the winner of this championship will then face the winner of the first championship to decide the first promoted team. And the loser of the, <laughs> the championship one versus championship two game will then face the highest positioned team in the overall championship, uh, which is Deportivo Pereira. So... <laughs> Boyacá Chico will face the winner of this year's tournament, either Cúcuta, Leones, Cartagena or Llaneros. And the winner will get promoted and the loser will face Deportivo Pereira to decide the second promoted team. So, yeah, if, if anyone has any questions, uh, you can ask me, but... Yeah, don't, don't ask them to the pod, ask Simon privately. No, basically, drama. <laughs> No, I, I imagine myself, you know, as as a Liverpool fan, heart and soul bought into it. You know, one minute we're in the league, you know, next minute we're relegated. You know, it's a bad enough roller coaster as it is. How, as a fan, 
you know, and, and you know, I'm talking about the South American DNA fans. And you one minute you're relegated, next minute you're champions, the next minute you're relegated again. It it must be it must be living hell. Yeah, completely. I mean, the last time America and Cali were relegated, there was massive riots and the, the city was destroyed. So to go to to go to the stadium on Saturday, not knowing if you know all of your worries were for nothing and you're safe and you can just concentrate on trying to win the league, or potentially leaving leaving and you know you've had a good season this year, you've had a good good campaign and and the the rules of the league has meant you've been relegated. You know, there's going to be some crazy emotions. There, there, you know, there's almost definitely going to be teams who may get relegated this weekend who end up completely relaxed, just looking forward to getting through to the quarterfinals and potentially winning the league. So the emotions are going to be insane. So, as I said, there's going to be points where a team is in the finals and then suddenly a point where they're relegated again. Um, so it's going to be dramatic. And especially with Bukaramanga playing America de Cali, I think Kotalua... Um, may get the result they need. And I also think Haguarin may get the result they need. So it may all come down to that one Bukaramanga Cali game. Um, and that's going to be really interesting. Uh, really, really interesting. So we'll see what happens. But it's it's going to be interesting. It's going to be emotional. Are you as confused as I am, Adam? <laughs> <laughs> at at, yeah, at well, least you sort of half get it. You half get it with the, the Chilean system. Yeah, sort of, I've, I've, sort I've, of like it. I think I think either me or Austin say this every time Simon brings it up, but I, I get the coefficient, and I and I think yeah, but but I can see the sense in that. But this whole business about the team taking over a previous team's uh, coefficient is so so grossly unfair unjust. and unjust. It's, un- it's, it's just yeah, it's just ridiculous. Okay, dogie. So before we go, I'll take a quick run around the table uh, with our plugs and mentions. Starting off with Simon, uh, where can we find your very popular Twitter account with its multiple characters and uh, super weaker features <laughs> and anything you're working on at the minute, Simon? Oh well, I I was special. And then everyone got 240 characters or 280 characters, whatever it is. So I've lost my special status. I'm just another guy using too many letters on Twitter now. So that's depressing. But I am on Twitter at Simon Edwards SAF. Um, and yeah, Colombian football this weekend. I can try and keep you up. Don't go again. Please, not again. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> so there's lots, lots happening in Colombia and planning some more Colombian stuff in the future uh, we'll see what happens with that but yeah good man always a good always a good read always a good listen and yourself Adam working with find you what are you working on far away um, yeah so a couple of things anybody who listened to my globe pod last week um, we had a couple of interesting guests on that um, review well wasn't particularly a review but more a look at the impact of the under 17 world cup on india that's got a really good reaction from people who have listened to it got a lot of great feedback on that pod so if you haven't heard it yet then then go check it out um that's the globe pod on the world football index and anybody who listened to that will also know that um i included a couple of recommendations in the end because i often get asked this on twitter uh by people who are interested in sort of improving their knowledge of world football or something like that um, so in, in that pod, I recommended a book. I'm going to recommend that you go on YouTube this week and look at two great World Cup reviews, um, which are on there by the BBC. Now, I remember when these were originally broadcast around Christmas time, and um, I had them on VHS for years. Um, so when I found them on YouTube, um, I think it was about a year ago now, I was uh, so, so happy. So... You can watch the BBC World Cup reviews of the 1990 and 1994 World Cups um, on on YouTube now, um, which is uh, a really kind of nostalgic look at that. So that's my recommendation for this week and has some South American relevance with Brazil winning the 94 World Cup and Argentina reaching the final in 90. Um, and finally, uh, a plug about me, and that's uh, the fact that I wrote an article uh, called Out in the Cold. It's about Chile's failure to reach uh, the World Cup in, in Russia, and that's in the latest edition of the excellent When Saturday Comes magazine. Um, so if you live in the UK, then that's 
available in every good news agents. And if you don't live in the UK, then you can find it at exacteditions.com where you can buy the online copy of the magazine. So that's that's all from me. And how about you, Dave? It's like talking to an infomercial today. What what's gone wrong with you, Brandon? <laughs> For me, very very little. I will I I back you up on that one. Do you know the problem with those documentaries? And and I saw them, and they're just too short, Adam. They're they're fantastic, but they could, you just want them. You just never want them to stop. Uh, yeah, they're yeah. so good. Yeah, and, I agree, and you know, obviously, it just brings back so timing, many good memories for me. That's the thing. The, the, the limited time slot for it, I appreciate it with the BBC, yeah. but you know, it, it, the the quality of it it, it, it could have been another hour and a half for my money. To be honest with you, especially the ninety one, uh, as you know, one of my favourite World Cups. But I say I have basically nothing because I'm only doing this pod, so uh, nothing from me. I will just thank you both very, very much for your time. As always, it's always been fun doing these pods. Uh, always, well, I always get confused with Simon and his relegation and promotion. Uh, and just one last thanks to the listener. And until the next South American football show, it's goodbye. <laughs>